Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. to our weekly Bible study. We're so glad that you joined us today. Today we'll be looking at the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins. And it's in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25. And we're nearing the end of our, our journey through the 46 parables of Jesus. Uh, the context of this parable of the wise and foolish virgins is that it's one of three parables that are taught by Jesus towards the end of his earthly ministry. Uh, soon Jesus will be going to the cross. He'll be uh, dying for our sins. He'll, three days later, he'll rise from the, uh, from the grave. And then, of course, he ascends into heaven. Uh, this discussion that Jesus is having with the uh, apostles is uh, called the Olivet Discourse. Um, all the three parables uh, that are contained in the Olivet Discourse all focus on the end time events, those events associated with the second coming of Jesus. The Olivet Discourse was a response by Jesus to a question that the apostles had asked um, after they remarked about the, the splendor of the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, this is found in, in chapter 24, just the chapter before. Let me read the first few verses so that we get an idea of the, the context. Verse 1 says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming, and of the end of the age? You know, when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, What will be the sign of your coming? What they wanted to know is about the establishment of the kingdom. Uh, the kingdom uh, the Jews had been expecting literally for centuries. This was one of the questions that was asked uh, to Jesus often during his ministry. The people were looking for a king uh, like David, someone who would break the yoke of bondage uh, that the Romans had, someone that would reestablish the glorious kingdom of Israel and, uh, and expand the borders to what God had promised. However, Jesus first came to establish something much greater. He showed us the love of the Father. He showed us what love truly was by dying on the cross and paying the penalty for our sin. Because of his death and his resurrection, we who believe in his name are free from the law of sin and death. However, there is a kingdom to come, an earthly kingdom. Uh, there are many, many more prophecies that still need to be fulfilled. And Jesus will return to earth to fulfill those prophecies and establish a kingdom on earth, not just a, a spiritual kingdom. He will rule and reign as king of king, kings and lord of lords. So, so Jesus complies with the request by the disciples and tells them about when these things will happen. And all of these things, of course, refer to, to his second coming, to the end of the age. 
In his answer on the Olivet Discourse, Jesus refers to those things that immediately precede uh, the coming of his, his kingdom. And they include things like earthquakes and famines and pestilences, plagues. Anybody know a plague <laughs> that, that might be going on worldwide? However, Jesus doesn't answer the specific question of when exactly he'll come. Instead, Jesus says, but of the day and the hour, no one knows. No one, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father alone. You know, many of the signs of the end times were given not as, as so much unusual events as they, as they naturally occur. These include deceptions and wars and earthquakes and pandemics. However, and we're not to, so we're not to be alarmed because they naturally occur. However, when they start occurring altogether, when the frequency increases, Jesus calls them birth pangs. Jesus compares them actually to the, the birth of a baby. And that might sound like a pretty unusual analogy, but when you think about it, it makes perfect sense. You know, most of us understand that while a pregnancy may last nine long months, at the very end of the waiting period, at the very end of the nine months, the woman will start having birth pains. Now, uh, uh, when they first start, they're, they're a wide, wide distance, a wide amount of time between them, sometimes 45 minutes, an hour, even longer. But then as the time approaches, they get, they get closer and closer together. You know, uh, five, six minutes apart. And that means that the, the baby is coming. So now that we understand the context of this parable, the story by Jesus as part of the Olivet Discourse, let's go ahead and read the parable and we'll start unpacking it to see what it has to say for us. So we're starting in a new chapter, chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lambs and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourself. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So we begin to look at this parable and we should immediately understand that this parable is meant to teach us both the suddenness as well as the unexpectedness of the coming of the Lord. Jesus had told us that there would be signs, signs of his coming, but not true, not so for the day or the hour. You're going back to the analogy of birth pains. When my, my wife was pregnant, uh, we went to the doctor and the doctor gave us a, a due date, a, a baby due date. And we circled it on the calendar. But wouldn't you know that the baby had an idea of her own? Uh, the baby came at a day and an hour that was not expected. 
This parable is also making use of the cultural context of a wedding, uh, the actual wedding uh, a series of things that happen in Galilee. Now Galilee is where Jesus was from as well as uh, most of his apostles as well. This parable is describing a wedding and within the ancient cultural cues within a wedding, there's one particular event in the wedding that this parable is focusing on and that is the, the coming of the bridegroom. The text reads in, in verse 6, and at midnight a cry was heard, behold the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. So let's at least assign a, a person uh, to this bridegroom and that person is going to be Jesus. If you've been studying the parables of Jesus with us over the past year, um, one of the things I mention often is that because these stories are, are parables by Jesus and they're about the kingdom of heaven, we often look for characters in the parables in order to, to get the full meaning. Each of these parables uh, has a, a moral message. In the case of the parables, Jesus said that he told parables so that we would understand some of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. In this parable, the bridegroom, without a doubt, is, is Jesus. Jesus himself called him, Jesus called himself the bridegroom often. One of the best examples was when he, he was asked by, his, by the uh, disciples of John why his disciples didn't fast. And Jesus replied, you cannot make the attendance of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with you, can you? Uh, even more importantly, because it's going to be a factor in our understanding of this parable, uh, Jesus also referred, Jesus has not only referred to the bridegroom, but the church, the church of, the, of Jesus Christ is referred to as the, as the bride. This is very clear, particularly with in apocalyptic terms, uh, those verses that reveal the second coming of, of Jesus. In the book of Revelation, for example, it reads, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That's in Revelation chapter 19. And then a few verses later in verse 9 it says, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So let's take a look at this parable within that context of a wedding in Galilee, especially with the cues that we have uh, from what we've already read in Scripture. At, at the beginning of the parable it says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. First, Jesus is saying that he's likening this parable to the kingdom of God, meaning he's comparing what he's telling us to the kingdom of God. In the story about the ten virgins, these parables, remember, are always about the, the kingdom of heaven, sometimes called the kingdom of God. Jesus says in this parable that ten virgins who took their lamps went out to meet the bridegroom. Let's talk a little bit about this, this metaphor of the wedding, and specifically the ancient traditions that we know about in Galilee. There were three stages to a wedding in Galilee. The first stage was what's called the engagement. Uh, there were, during the engagement, the parents, a lot of these were arranged marriages. In fact, all of them were arranged. The, the first stage was a, was a contract or a covenant, uh, a written agreement that was drawn up usually by the fathers, but the bridegroom and the bride would also enter in and agree to the, to the language. Uh, the second after that was what's called a, a betrothal. Uh, 
this is a ceremony where mutual promises were made between the bridegroom and the bride. It was after the betrothal that the man and the woman were committed to each other. They were, in all respects, other than that they were never together, uh, married. If you remember the story of, of Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus, Joseph found out that Mary was with child and he decided he was going to divorce her, put her away. Even though they were betrothed and had never been together, they needed to be divorced if he was going to separate from Mary. Now after the betrothal, the second stage, the, the groom would return to his father's house to prepare a place for his bride, a dwelling place a place to live. Does that, does that sound familiar? Of course, John 14, Jesus speaks of the same thing. The separation between the bridegroom and the bride was often very long. It was normally a year, but it could last longer than a year. Particularly if the betrothal was between a, a man and a very young woman who was not yet of age. The third phase culminated in the, with a marriage supper. And it began with what we're reading today in this parable. It would begin when the bridegroom came for his bride. This was done secretly. It was part of the culture. It was just the way they did things. It was, it was always done in secret. You never knew when the, the bridegroom was truly going to come. It, it's similar to our tradition today that many people still follow is that it's, it's unlucky. It's not appropriate for the bridegroom to see the bride on the day of the wedding before he sees her actually at the wedding fully dressed. The bridegroom would come unexpectedly and his arrival would always be accompanied by the shout, the bridegroom cometh. So let's turn our attention now to what's called the wise and the foolish virgins. You know, we don't know why Jesus chose the number 10, five wise and five foolish. Perhaps there's, there's no real meaning to that, that number. There's no symbolic meaning. Uh, these, these bridesmaids, these virgins, would have been bridesmaids or what we know as attendants to the bride. Uh, they've been, they would be assisting the bride during this, this period of time. They'd be part of the bridal party. They would go out and meet the groom, the bridegroom, when he came. Now the lamps that they were carrying were, were, large, uh, were likely torches. Perhaps Jesus used the word lamps because lamps require oil and that's going to be a key part of this, this parable. They need the oil in order to, to function. Torches or lamps were, were necessary because for some reason in this culture the bridegroom always came at, at night and it was common it was common practice for the entire bridal party to go out and meet the bridegroom and then follow the bridegroom and the party back to the father's house where the wedding banquet would begin so then in this parable we're introduced to this this problem we're told immediately why the five were foolish it says, those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with the lamps. So let's put a pin in this relationship between the lamps and the oil, because I want to look at the, the very next verse. It says, but while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Notice that all 10 of the maidens slept uh, because the bridegroom was delayed. Attentiveness does not require that you are awake, but it does require both preparation as well as responsiveness. Preparation and responsiveness in order to be um, attentive. 
particularly because the bridegroom was delayed, they, they slumbered. Now, how long of a delay? Well, presently, there's been a period of almost 2,000 years from the time that Jesus said he would, that he left and said he would return to the present day. However, the bride, the bride of Christ, is still to be fully committed and should be waiting for the bridegroom. However, some may begin to doubt. The Apostle Peter wrote about this very delay and the idea of doubting. And he did that in his, his letter called Second Peter. And it says this, he says, Most importantly, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. That's what scoffers do. Scoffers scoff. And they'll say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since our fathers fell asleep, everything continues as it has from the beginning of creation. You know, I believe that this, this, this delay and the doubt that the bridegroom is coming back is the difference between the wise and the foolish virgins. See, the wise had oil. They were expecting that they would need to light their lamps. They would need to go out and meet the bridegroom. The foolish were there for the party, but they really doubted that the bridegroom was coming back. Had they not doubted, they would have brought oil with them. But when the bridegroom came, they were, they were completely surprised. They were like these people we, that, that, second, that Peter talks about. They were scoffers. They scoffed and they said, ever since the beginning of creation, nothing's ever changed. We, we doubt that the bridegroom is coming. Now let's look at the next verse and we'll dig deeper into the significance of the lamps and the oil. It says, at midnight a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming, and the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. Now, we live in an electric age, an instant age. I can go to my wall and flick a switch and the lights come on, and when I want to shut them off, I go to the switch and just flick it off. Um, if, I, if I need to go outside and it's dark, I, I grab a flashlight. Actually, if you're in England, the flashlight's called a torch. But you grab your flashlight, it's got ever-ready batteries in it, and you, you flick it on, and immediately you have light. But, but however, that's not the case back in ancient Israel. What we said was that if we're smart, if you're wise, you need to make preparations. You know, here in, in Florida, we have, we have hurricanes. And part of our hurricane preparation is to make sure that we have plenty of flashlights, plenty of water, and plenty of batteries. And the flashlights and batteries are important because you could easily lose power. The last big storm we had here in, in Florida was in 2017 and Hurricane Irma came through. It was a category four hurricane that was going to be coming ashore. We had just bought a, a brand new home, I remember very well, here in central Florida. And we were a little concerned. We wanted to make sure that our home was safe, that we wouldn't lose any windows, that we wouldn't have any water damage. Uh, we actually did just quite well. You know, reminds me, my mom and dad were, had gone through many, many hurricanes, and my dad was very wise. My dad was the kind of guy that, that always prepared. He had been through a number of, of hurricanes, and as a result, he, he had a generator. And after the hurricane, after the storm, my dad was out there with his generator that was running. He'd have flashlights, he'd have water, his chainsaw, and he was always there to, to help the people around him. He was, he was wise. He was prepared. The Bible says that these ten virgins in our parable trim their lamps. Now, that means that they put their torches in, in order. 
it meant that they lit them, but then made sure that the wick was just so long and that the oil was, was, was flowing so that the light would be bright enough, but it wouldn't burn out too quickly. Verse 8, it says, And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are, are going out. You know, this, this verse, verse 8, is actually becomes the, the main focus of our parable. Because this parable is a, is a warning. It's letting us know that these foolish virgins were some that considered themselves a part of the party, a part of the bridal party. They believed they would be invited um, if, in fact, the bridegroom or Jesus would come, but they didn't believe he was going to come. So as a result, they, they didn't have the oil and they were fools. This parable is a warning addressed specifically to those who believe that they're inside the church, that they're okay with God. Maybe it's because they attend church, or maybe they have a membership, or maybe they've even been baptized. For whatever reason, they're hanging around the church and they're pretending to be something they're, they're truly not. You see, these people are, are missing something. They're missing something that is critical, something that's truly essential. This parable is warning that us that it is possible. In fact, let me correct that. It's not just possible. It's highly likely, it's almost certain, that there are many that believe they're, they're part of the body, they're part of the church, but they're believing it for reasons that really don't matter. The only thing that matters to these virgins was the oil in their lamp. The only thing that matters if you're a Christian or not is if you have the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You know, there are more than 200 references in the Bible to oil and those references clearly identify that the oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. We see in the Old Testament the ritual anointing of priests and kings and prophets. Oil always signified the presence of the Holy Spirit. Regardless of church attendance or religious conviction, one is only a Christian if there's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Religion alone won't do it. One of the most religious people in the New Testament was a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus came to Jesus and he said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God because as a teacher, no one can do these signs you do unless, unless God is with him. Jesus proceeds to tell Nicodemus, however, that he needs to be born again, which causes some confusion on Nicodemus's part but it gives Jesus the opportunity to explain. Jesus says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed when I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, and you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You know, it's, it's not enough to know who Jesus is. We need to know him intimately. Do you think that this relationship between Christ and the church described as the bridegroom and the bride is just coincidental? Uh, of course not. It's, it's called the bridegroom. Jesus is called the bridegroom and the church is called the bride because it speaks to the intimacy, uh, the relationship between every member of the body of Christ and Jesus Christ himself. Just as the virgins got up and began to heading out to meet the bridegroom, the, the five foolish ones realized they didn't have oil for their lamps. 
the parable doesn't indicate that they could not have gotten the oil, just as the wise ones would, had. It just says that they, they didn't have it. It seems like they had not been concerned about it. But now that they know, now they rush out and they, they try to find a way to be able to accommodate for their foolishness. The next part of the parable it has some, is some filler. It's story. It says, verse 9, it says, But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but rather go and, and sell, go to those who sell and buy some for yourself. Those that are wise cannot give their oil to, to others. We can't give the Holy Spirit to anybody, um, nor can it be purchased. The next verse, however, verse 10, is key. It says, And while they went to buy, their bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in, with him to the wedding and the door was shut. Think about that. Shut out. If you've ever been to a, to a Broadway play or maybe a, a serious performance with, with paid actors at a theater near you, um, often what they'll do is the doors to the theater are, are wide open. You can come in and find your seat. You can go back out and get a refreshment. You can go to the restroom and come back. Um, same thing with intermission. The doors open wide. But then, before the, the play is begin, to begin, whether it's Act 1 or after mission, uh, intermission, uh, Act 2, and the doors begin to shut, okay? Once they're shut, if you're on the outside, you're, you're locked out. I don't, I don't care how well you're dressed. I don't care if you've bought a whole row of seats. You are, you are locked out until the doors open again. Uh, the point to this entire parable it's to highlight the fact that these, these unwise virgins did not have the Holy Spirit symbolized by the oil. Therefore, they were not authentically invited. They were not authentically saved. Because they were not saved, they really didn't even know the Lord, the bridegroom. The door was shut and they were on the outside wishing that they were on the inside. So, so what does this mean for us? Well, I believe there's, there's two things. We need to be alert. We need to be alert and understand that um, if we're truly saved, we're, we're waiting for Jesus. We're, we're trusting in Jesus. We should be looking for the return of him, but it's not the only thing we should be doing. Actually, the book of Hebrews, uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, speaks speak specifically what we should be doing when we see these signs, these, these signs of the end times. The author of Hebrews writes, And let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Let us not neglect meeting together as some have made a habit, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. It says, all the more as you see these, these signs, as you see the day approaching. You know, this, this concept of being left behind, what we see here as being locked out, is unfortunately all too true. Jesus will return and whether we hear the words the bridegroom cometh or we simply hear a call or a shout or as the Bible says the the trumpet of God it will happen and for many it will be it'll be too late. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 says for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. In this Olivet Discourse, Jesus is answering the question that the disciples asked of when this will happen. 
What will be the sign of his coming? And he includes some other hints about the time and the seasons. He said that it would be like the days of Noah. There will be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, life as, as usual. In the same account in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says it will also be like the days of Lot. Verse 28 says, In the days of Lot, people were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But then it says, But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. I want you to notice that it is without notice, without any warning, that the Lord returns. Also, the references to Noah and Lot are intrig intriguing. Jesus could have used really any reference. There's plenty of references in the Old Testament about normal times, things going on, days, days just kind of people getting married and things happening. Um, however, this business as usual is unique in the case of Noah and Lot. What do the two men have in common, this Noah and Lot? Well, both of the men were, were rescued. They were saved from a sudden destruction that came upon all of those that were left behind. It was Noah and his family, eight and all, that, that God saved from the flood that destroyed all, all living creatures. Lot was rescued when the angels came into Sodom in order to get him, to rescue him, to bring him out of Sodom because God was going to destroy the city. When Lot hesitated, the angels said, do not hesitate, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. Let's look at the last two verses of our parable today and we'll, we'll finish up. Verse 11, it says, afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. It's tragic. The door is shut. And then the Lord says, I, I do not know you. This is, a, again, a tragic penalty for, for those that are foolish. For thinking that you can pretend and still be included in the bridal party. They can't come in because they, they had no oil in their lamps. The door is shut and they have no other recourse but to cry out, Lord, Lord, open to us. Let me pause for a moment and let you know that the door is presently open. It's wide open. Jesus is offering a call to anyone. And he's saying, whosoever shall call upon his name shall be saved. This parable is just as applicable to us today as it has been throughout all generations. The door is open. However, at some time in the future, the door will shut. There will be those that are wise that are prepared. They will go in and be included in this wonderful wedding feast, but others will be locked out. In the book of Revelation, in the first three chapters, there are letters by Jesus to seven churches. And in the first three chapters, the word church is used 19 times. In his letter to the church at Laodicea, Jesus says this. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. The word church is referenced 19 times in the first three chapters. There's a total of 22 chapters in the book of Revelation. And after the first three chapters, the, 
word church is not mentioned. We see that in chapter 6, we see the beginning of the tribulation with the release of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. In all of these remaining chapters, there's no longer any reference to the church. There will be a time when the door is shut and the bride of Christ will be with the bridegroom. This is actually the story we see at the end of the book of Revelation. Because the word church is mentioned one last time. In chapter 21, verse 2, it says, And then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. This reference again to the bride, the bridegroom, the, the wedding feast. Let's, let's, let's take this seriously. Let's understand that the door is open. Don't miss the meaning of this parable. Jesus concludes this parable with the very words, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. The point of this parable is, is quite simple. Please be ready. The door is open. Make sure that you are ready today. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for, for who you are. We thank You've you, been Lord, listening for to Faith parable. Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.